This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kristen, for that. I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're really glad that you're with us this morning, especially those of you who are guests and visitors with us. Like always, we're, we're just honored that you, you would choose to spend your Sunday morning with us, and we love that you're here. And we're continuing on in the book of 1 Peter um, where we've been for a few months now and where we'll be for the next several months as well. We're in chapter 2, and so I'm going to pray for our time, and then uh, we're going to jump in. Father, as always, we don't take your word for granted. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've chosen to reveal yourself to um, humanity through your word that these are your words, they're inspired by the Spirit. And as we look at this text we're going to look at today, I pray that um, we would allow this text and, and, and your Spirit to change us, that you would open our minds, you would open our hearts, and you would um, allow us to be changed as we leave this place to, to live differently, to live as, as exiles, as faithful exiles in this world that desperately needs to see and hear the good news. So help us this morning to that end. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite things to do, one of my hobbies, is to coach um, youth sports, coach youth sports. Um, my son Jax is eight now, so I've had the opportunity for the last several years to coach his basketball, soccer, Baseball teams coach all of it, right? I love it. I love doing that. And one of the uh, main reasons why I enjoy it so much is because as a pastor, um, I spend the overwhelming majority of my time with Christians, with people, with church folk, right? People who know Jesus. And so, really, this through my hobbies and really my neighborhood, for a pastor, those are really the primary. Um, or the, other, the only other ways is you're going to kind of connect with the community, connect with people who don't know Jesus. And so this is one of the reasons why I do that, and I just love it. It's, it's really fun. Well, there was a, um, a, an incident that happened two years ago, I believe, um, and my son was six at the time. I was coaching soccer, 4v4, small field. I'm out there kind of working with the boys. And in, in 4v4 at age six, there aren't a lot of rules. There's a few rules. But not a lot of rules. Um, you're just trying to teach them a little bit about the game, but there are a few rules. And I'm coaching in the middle of this game, 
And I, I start to hear this mom from the other team, who's kind of on the sidelines, begin walking down the sideline kind of towards the end where I am in coaching. And she's yelling at me. She's yelling at me, and so she finally gets to the point where she's kind of almost even with me over on this sideline, and finally she kind of gets my attention, and I look at her, and she is mad, really angry that, that there was this particular rule that it was a hard rule for the six-year-old to understand, and she was mad at me for not getting, for mad at me for the boys not following this rule, me for not coaching them appropriately to that rule, and calling me things like cheater and trying to take advantage and all this stuff. And so um, the godly thing would have been to ignore her, right? She's a fan. But I did not take the high road in this moment, right? Um, I didn't, I didn't uh, cuss. I didn't, I didn't get personal with her. But I was a little snarky. Like, I let her have it. I came back at her a little bit and basically told her something to the effect of, like, hey, I'm, I'm coaching. You're a fan. You go be a fan. I'll be a coach. And remember, they're six, right? We need to remember they're six. They're six, and they're not going to follow rules. So get off my back, right? Um, and five seconds after I said it, I knew, like, that was, not, that was not wise. Like, everybody heard, boys heard, my parents heard. I just felt horrible, right? I didn't set out at the beginning of this game to, like, think, okay, if this happens, I really want to get in this argument with a fan. That would be the wise decision today. Like, no, I, I never would do that, right? But in that moment, she tapped into some things inside of me, some passions, some desires, strong desires in the area of coaching that I hold dear, right? I want to be a protector for my players, for my boys, right? I take serious the job of coaching, and I want to follow the rules, right? I want to follow the rules. I don't like being called out a cheater publicly, right, when I don't think I'm cheating, right? So she tapped into some things that are good desires, but they became a little too strong. They became a little too strong. Good desires became strong enough where I felt the need to kind of lash back at her when she attacked me rather than just ignoring her and letting things go in that way and letting her just talk and it would have probably been done with. And I would have looked a lot better and had a better witness and um, been a better uh, coach slash pastor, but I didn't. And I ended up apologizing um, to her, my parents, the boys, and kind of uh, had to say, you know, that was not right of me to, to escalate that in the way I did. Here's what Peter is going to tell us today. That in light of being exiles, living in this world, as followers of Jesus, we must pay attention to what is happening inside of us. We must pay attention to what is happening inside of us. Because Peter is going to describe what is happening inside of us like a war. Like a war. And it has everything to do with us living as faithful exiles. And this is connected. This Verses 11 and 12 are connected to the verses we read last week. Verses 9 and 10. And in these verses we see that Paul puts... puts uh, lay, I mean, Peter lays out these identity pictures for us, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession, those who, who, who didn't receive mercy, who've now received mercy, right? He gives us this identity. He reminds us who we are, and then um, he, he basically says, you are this. This is, this is your being. This is your nature. The old is gone. The new has come. 
This is who you are as followers of Jesus. And then out of that, in verse um, um, nine, the second half of verse nine there, he says, now our role, our job is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're to, we're to proclaim, right? That was the application from last week. So one part of being faithful exiles is to proclaim. Proclaim him with our lips, with our mouth. Like tell people about Jesus, who he is, right? We must do that as, as exiles, right? That's who we are. We're proclaimers of his excellency. And now we continue on in these two verses today, and Peter's going to continue with this thought, and he's going to give us a second thing that we need to do to be faithful exiles. And he's going to tell us that, that how we approach this internal war that's going on um, will determine how faithful we're going to be to him in this world as exiles. And I, I, I love this kind of uh, picture here of, of, of why, as a church, we go through books of the Bible um, predominantly verse by verse or passage by passage because you see Peter's kind of logical thought flow here, right? From last week to this week, they're connected. And it doesn't, it's, it's not surprising because this is a letter, right? And Peter's writing here to um, Christians who were scattered throughout um, the Roman Empire. And in, the, in this, this uh, past, these two verses today, we're going to see the same progression that Peter's using, that is used before in his writing. We're going to see who we are, in light of who we are, what we should do. In light of who we are and what we should do, Peter, it, it, the third thing he's going to show us is why we should do it, or what our motivations are. So let's look at verse 11. He starts off by saying, beloved. This is, this is Pastor Shepherd Peter, right? He's thinking about um, with the pastor's heart, the people that are scattered about, and he says, beloved, or those I love, I urge you. This is where we get the word urgency, right? I urge you. I plead with you. So this is Peter. His, his, his pastor heart is overflowing for his people. This is intense, what he's about to say. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And so we're going to stop right there. We're going to walk through these verses slowly. And um, this exile idea, we talked a lot about it at the beginning of the letter because this is how he opens the letter, Peter does, by calling us exiles. And throughout this scripture, this idea of exiles is a, is a popular one. It's a common one. And we need to remember that when God created the world, Adam and Eve, he created it where we had everything we needed. They did, right? They had everything they needed. They had fellowship with God. They had, um, they had a clear pathway to flourishing and to freedom and joy. They were given a, a command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and things were good. But then sin came into the world um, through the serpent's um, influence, and Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. They decided that I know what's best. We know what's best. We know what's going to lead to freedom and joy. We're going to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves, not listen to God. And they ended up falling, sinning, and God had to remove them or exile them from the garden. So Adam and Eve were the first exiles. He removed them from the garden. And over and over, we see this cycle in the Old Testament of, um, of exile in return, exile in return. God exiles his people. His people repent. They come back to God. God brings them back into relationship in some form. They mess up again. He exiles them out to get their attention, to wake them up. They repent. God, because he's in covenant with his people, brings them back in, and the cycle goes on and on. And then Jesus finally comes on the scene, 
And he is the one who ends the exile, makes the way for us to come back truly to God. And God, in a way, exiled him to the cross so that we might be brought near. This is the gospel, that Jesus was exiled on our behalf so that we might be brought near. And as exiles, we should never look completely like the world or the society we're in, right? We're a set-apart nation. And so when we think about living and engaging and, 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 and spending time with people, we shouldn't look exactly like the world. This is a, a guiding principle we should always have when we spend time in the world. Now, we're the same in some ways, right? We have some of the same struggles, the same things that bring happiness to the world brings happiness to us, right, in a lot of ways. But we're also different in ways. And there's this consistent tension of us being in the world but not fully of the world. Another way to describe this are, is to, that we're resident aliens, right? We're here for a short period of time as followers of Jesus, but this world is not our home. And this hence the term aliens, right? And notice here, there's this assumption that we're throughout this whole piece, I don't want you to miss this, that we're going to spend time around people who aren't followers of Jesus. There's this assumption they're going to be rubbing shoulders with people who don't know him, right? So that's implicit in these Verses. Let's look at, um, uh, keep going, and con continuing on in verse 11. Now, this is the second part of this. What should we do? Peter's laid out who we are. Now he's going to get in what should we do. So he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, here it is, to abstain from the, from the passions of the flesh. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, passions here mean literally like to over-desire something. Like your desires become too big for you to manage. And you think of the, the kind of the normal stuff, right? Food. Okay, for example, food, right? Food is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Like food is a great thing. But food can also be used for a lot of us as sources of comfort, sources of control, sources that we, we run to when we need a hit, right, of something. We go to food, right? Food can be a good thing kept in proper relationship to the giver God, but when we use food for something else other than to glorify God, it can become damaging, just like anything else. We see this in entertainment. It's okay to be entertained, but when we're vegging out all the time to entertainment, probably not the, the best way to glorify God, right? Maybe control, right? We're called to be fruitful and multiply, right? We're to be stewards of what God has given us. But when that control becomes so protective of our time and our schedules and our appearance and our, and our kind of world around us, that be, can become um, enslaving, right? It steals our freedom and joy away when control becomes an ultimate thing, right? And so Peter says to abstain from these passions of the flesh, Abstain means to, to hold off or to keep at a distance. And this is where we get the word abstinence too, right? When you think of the word abstain or abstinence, oftentimes it has a negative connotation. Or maybe you, you attach some kind of legalistic um, idea to it, and that's just not true, right? In this context, Peter's just saying, hey, based on who you are, and I just told you that in verse 9, based on who you are, this is what you shouldn't do. Like keep those things at a distance. Abstain from these things. Put off these things. So we have Peter here telling us to abstain from passions of the flesh. And the key to the understanding the whole passage is next, because it addresses what's happening underneath everything. Why? Which wage war against your soul? These passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. So this, this 
idea of souls. We talked a lot about this in the anxiety series last year. But um, we are embodied souls, meaning that we have a soul and we have a body, and those things can't be pulled apart. They're intertwined. Sometimes we split them to, to talk about how they're different. But in reality, they're intertwined, and we can't separate them. What, what, what we do with our bodies affects our soul. What we, what we do with our soul and how our soul works it affects our body. Okay? It's, it's vice versa. It's cyclical there. They affect one another. So Peter's saying that the war that rages inside of us directly impacts how we live in the world. It affects how we behave. It affects our bodies. And, I'll, and we don't think about this oftentimes on how, if we were to just stand back and think about how to make good decisions or how to live the Christian life, often we think it works like this, right? I'm going to take all the data. I'm going to take all, I'm going to assess the situation, maybe uh, memorize some scripture, right? I understand what's, what I need to do. And then when that, th- that thing arises or that decision, I'm going to make the right decision, right? We think it's going from the intellect to the behavior. Now, those things are a part of all decisions we make in living the Christian life, but it misses a gigantic piece of how this happens. It's incomplete, right? Just like my example uh, at, the, at, the, at the soccer field, right? Like, I, I knew going in, hey, it is not wise to engage a fan that is angered from the opposing team. I know that, right? I didn't go in and think, but in the moment, there was something else that took over, right? Fleshly passions, passions of the flesh that caused me to react out, uh, lash out in an unwise, you could even say sinful way, right? I didn't want that to happen, right? Take loving your neighbor, right? We all know as followers of Jesus, hey, loving your neighbor is a good thing. And it's a desire that the Holy Spirit wants to kind of provoke in us. But how hard is it for us to love our neighbor? And I'm not talking physical neighbor. It could be physical neighbor that lives next door to you. But I'm just talking about the people you rub shoulders with every day. Like people who, are, who disagree with you. People who don't believe the same things as you. People who maybe annoy you a little bit. Get under your skin. We're just lazy, right? When it comes to maybe connecting with other people that we find ourselves, right? But we know we should love our neighbor. We know that, but there's something else at work inside of us that pulls us in a different way. This is the war that's happening underneath that Peter is addressing here. So Peter's saying that the values of the world, right, the world we live in, in combination with our flesh, that old, that old part of us that's left over, right? We have the spirit and the flesh. So in the, the world we live in, in combination with the flesh, are enemies of our soul and make war on our soul. And if we read all the scripture, we'd also see that Satan is a part of this too, right? The scriptures call him the prince of this world. So he has some element of control in this as well. Now, Peter doesn't bring up Satan here, um, so we're not going to address it directly for the sake of time, but that's another topic for another time. But, we, but he's saying there's the flesh in the world here, and in combination, they are making war on our souls. So Peter's saying to live as faithful exiles in this world, we must focus on our soul. We must focus on what's going on underneath what is happening on the surface. These passions of the flesh go against the way we're created to be, right? Think back to the garden. God made us to enjoy him, to enjoy the gifts that he's given us. By by, by enjoying those gifts, we also enjoy him, and we give credit and honor back to him. He made us for a certain way. He made us to proclaim his excellencies. This is how it was in Genesis 1 and 2 in the garden. But now, because of sin, we want to proclaim other excellencies. We want to 
We want to love other excellencies rather than the excellencies from God. Or to say it another way, we want to love the gifts from the giver more than the giver himself. We take gifts that he's given us to give him glory for, and we take those gifts and over-desire them, make idols out of them, make little gods out of them. He's given us everything to enjoy in this world, like anything, food, drink, sex, sports, humor, work, love, any of those things he has given us to be used in the appropriate way, in the appropriate context, that he would receive glory and that we would love our neighbor. This is what he's given us these things for. But our world tells us to take these things and overindulge without any restraint. Like, go for it. Like, you take whatever in that list and, and you go all in. This is those passions of the flesh. There's no restraint. And we begin to love those things more than God. This is marketing 101, right? Commercials, right? Like, make you feel dissatisfied. Make you feel like you need something, that, that you, like you want something that you don't really need, Right? And this thing promises to bring you satisfaction over promising, right? And they, they, they under-deliver in the fact that maybe you love it for a short period of time, but that feeling goes away. Like fast food commercials are ridiculous, right? Like you, they, they show a family go in a fast food com- commercial, right? And you're taking some little kids through fast food drive through or you step up to the counter and, you know, you, you, see, the, you see the golden arches and, Everybody's happy, right? Going to McDonald's, getting some burgers. What they don't tell you in this, these commercials, this, this, this 15 to 20 minutes of maybe happiness will eventually turn your kids into little demons based off what you're putting in their body, right? They don't tell you what happens 30 minutes after the milkshake at home. That ain't going to sell. They're not going to sell a parent on, hey, you're going to have 20 minutes of enjoyment for this stuff you're putting in their body and then your night will be absolutely ruined. <laughs> Not far from this is the minivan, right? Like, God, thank God for the minivan. I love my minivan. Minivans are wonderful inventions. They ain't going to sanctify my kids, right? They ain't going to, like, they ain't going to help my, my kids kill their, help me help my kids kill their sin. It's not helping that. It's convenience, right? But everyone's hopping in that minivan in these commercials, and they're like, you should probably, you know, you should probably get the updated minivan, right? Oh, it doesn't have this feature, right? This, this two years old is way old. Like, you need to get the new minivan because it has these features. Like, it's ridiculous, right? We kind of fall for these things. And the other one I was thinking of is, um, and, I, and I know it's still around because I checked, but it, this, this started in the 90s, but, man, a horrible marketing was Axe Body Spray, right? <laughs> College dudes, I'm talking to you, right? It's like when that came on the market, it was like, hey, you spray this stuff on you, and the ladies are going to swoon, right? And I'm like, it's ridiculous, right? And then you go, it's like you go, to, you go to Walmart or something. It's the bottom of the barrel, right? It's the cheapest stuff, right? So I don't think it's going to work, right? But these, this crazy marketing scheme, it was just ridiculous, right? But again, marketers are tapping into these passions, these fleshly passions. So how do we engage this, right? Let's go back to this word abstain. It's an important word, abstain. Like, we have to understand the war that's happening inside of us. We have to do that internal work, that deep work, right? We have to recognize these excessive passions inside of us that don't honor God. And we need to remember that this world we live in is about self-advancement, self-promotion, self-protection. Like, that's the world we live in. 
So how are these passions, these things that God has given us to use for good, actually kind of being um, kind of taken over by those things? And maybe we need to begin by just learning how to exercise some self-control, right? Fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control. And abstain from these things that we know are waging war against our souls. It's kind of the negative way to look at it from Peter, right? Abstain. Like, don't do something. There's a positive way that I think is maybe even more helpful that Peter has said in other places of this book. You go back to chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to how Peter describes kind of making war on the things that are making war on your soul. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. There's a, there's a strong um, statement there. And being sober-minded. Here it is. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on future grace. That's one way to, to kind of push these passions of the flesh out. Set your hope on the grace of God. And then in chapter 2, just a few verses back, Peter says this, Like newborn infants long for spiritual milk. Crave spiritual milk. Crave the things of him. Crave his word. That by it, the spiritual milk, you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So there, the, again, we, we, we set our hope on future grace. We crave pure spiritual milk. We find sustenance in God's word. We find freedom and joy in spending time with him and our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the ways that those passions of the flesh begin getting pushed out are by, by replacing them with new affections, replacing them by the new affections of God we have in Jesus. So we don't fight against our soul. We fight for our soul with these new desires and passions, along with abstaining. You see the positive negative here. We abstain and we replace. We abstain and we replace. That's how we fight this war for our souls. Now let's look at verse 12. He's going to get to the why here. So this is kind of what we do transitioning into the why. He gives us another verb here, though. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Notice among the Gentiles, just meaning people who don't know Jesus. So as we're among them, as we live among them, we keep our conduct honorable. The honorable here literally means beautiful. It means beautiful. Kind of sounds strange to translate English beautiful, keep your conduct beautiful. This is why they chose honorable, but this word, the word underneath that, it's better translated beautiful. So doing the kinds of things the world thinks are beautiful. Like all human beings, right? This is how we live honorable lives. Loving your enemies. Doing things with excellence. Right? Those, those people who hate you, love the people that hate you. Love your enemies. Show humility. And notice what he's not saying here. He's not saying isolate yourself. Hey, be good exiles by isolating yourself and just hunkering down, staying away from the world. That's not what he says. He could have said it. That's not what he says. He also says, don't, uh, he doesn't say assimilate, become like the world. Like get in that world and kind of be, like, be a chameleon and kind of like be able to just kind of go along with the flow of the world and not really rock the boat. No, he doesn't say that either. And he also, said, he, he also says, he doesn't say attack. Okay, you're faithful exiles by attacking everything that the world disagrees with. No, that's not what he says. He says, live beautiful lives that are attractive to even those people who don't know Jesus. So that, Peter continues, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
They may see your good deeds. They will witness them and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what Peter's saying is that while the world is disagreeing with our lives, our beliefs, our values, saying those things are evil, which it will, right? It's, it's, it's Peter's saying, this is what's going to happen. Jesus said, if they rejected me, they will also reject you. So don't be shocked if we're being rejected. But he says, when that happens, live honorable lives. Live beautiful lives. Don't run. Don't attack. Don't become just like. Live honorable lives. We do so much good that the world can't ignore it. Here, here, there's some things I I thought of here. We, We actually talked about one this morning. We care for vulnerable children, right? Children who are, you know, are coming from families that are struggling, parents who are struggling, right? We step in, we fill the gap, and we parent kids and love them well while there's brokenness in their life. That is an honorable thing for humans in general to do. The church should be front and center of that. We should be leading the charge in this, which that's why I'm so proud of our church being a part of Care Portal and having people in our church that are, fo- that are, that are uh, doing foster care and, and, and people surrounding those families. But it also includes um, giving generously to causes. It means building crisis pregnancy centers to care for babies in the womb and their mothers and fathers. Right? It says making our voice loud to push back racism. Right? Right? That, those are the things we do. Caring for the vulnerable. Making our cities better places to live. Like these are ways that humanity will look at and, and it will stick out and say people that are doing good work in around the people um, um, that we find ourselves around, right? And, and I go back to my example at the beginning, right? One thing that, again, I'm in process. I just shared with you of how I have brokenness in, in even in being a, a youth sports coach, right? But one of the other reasons why I'm in that is because you, you go see a toxic rough environment of depravity, you go to a youth sports field or court. <laughs> I, I, you laugh, but like there are studies, there are books that are being written now because it's become so out of control, right? This place is, is bad. Talk about adults, moms, dads, coaches, like trying to live all of their hopes and dreams through little Johnny who's six, right? It is horrible and toxic, and, I, and I'm hoping by being there, as God is, allows me to be in process, to rub shoulders with coaches, to be able to have an influence on parents, to be able to coach these, these boys, I've boys, so I'll coach boys, boys well, right? And teach them what it's like to play the game right and treat referees with respect. And I am on my parents that they have to follow those rules as well, right? And so I'm hoping that in this often ugly, toxic environment that I can bring a little peace of God, a little shalom, a little beauty to this. Again, not so I can get glory, but people will ask, well, why do you do this? Why are you different? Well, let me tell you. And then proclaiming the excellencies of him, right? There it is. So this is one of the reasons why I do that. So what is that, what is that for you? Where's your space that you can bring an honorable life to? 1 Peter 2.15, I love this. We'll talk about this more next week, but I wanted to just share it this week. For this is the will of God, Peter says, that by doing good, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
And, and when we do these things in the world around us, that they may, Peter's saying that they may see our good deeds and they glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, day of visitation is a little strange, that wording there. Most commentators means it can have kind of two layers of meaning. The first layer of meaning can mean that when, when people who don't know Jesus see the way we live, like it can, it can create um, maybe curiosity in this God that we serve, and God will use that to bring people to himself, also through us proclaiming the gospel when we get a chance. Right? That's one way that they can give glory. The other way or layer, and this is probably the more common way we see this word's day of visitation used in the scriptures, is the day when Jesus returns. The, j- the day when Jesus returns and everyone with knees bowed will worship him. Those who are bowing and worshiping him who, are, who have salvation and those who are bowing and worshiping him who are under wrath and who have been condemned. The day of judgment, every knee will bow and worship him and give glory to him. So again, with both of these kind of meanings, it creates some urgency. So for those of you who are in this room who aren't followers of Jesus, this is, this is the hard news, right? That there is a day when the world will be judged, every human being. And before that day comes... I urge you, I I plead with you to put your faith in Jesus, to to, um, allow the Spirit to do the work that he he may be doing in in your heart right now and allow him to come in and put your faith and trust in him, right? And this is the day of visitation, right? So either we're... the Unbelievers will glorify him when, they, when God visits them personally and they become followers of Jesus or when the judgment day happens. That's, that's what commentators think Peter is talking about here. Now, I want to review and then we'll wrap up with some practicals. Now, first, who we are. Can't re- we can't forget about this, right? This is so important. This is connected back to verse 9. We're chosen, royalty, set apart. We belong to him. We've received mercy. We're his. This is who we are if you have faith in Jesus, individually and as a church. This is who we are. This is the good news. And in light of that, he sends us out as missionaries. And in this context, it's, it's exiles because we're, finding we're, we're, we're in a world that is not our home. We're resident aliens. That is who we are. And then out of that, what we're to do, we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh and live honorable lives. We're abstaining from the passions of the flesh and live honorable lives. We do that deep, soul-level work through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the motivation, we live honorably so that people would glorify God. So God would receive more glory and more honor and more people would look at Jesus and see how wonderful, awesome, beautiful, praiseworthy he is and would give their lives to him. This is why we proclaim the excellencies of him And this is why we live honorable lives, the two kind of pillars of what it means to be a missionary. So what do we do? Well, number one, we have to do the soul work. We've already talked about that a lot, but we have to understand where these passions of the flesh kind of make war. Like what area do they make war on you? But in your everyday life, where do you see those things coming up? I shared my example of on the field. What's your example? Where are those things coming up? And do that work there. Either abstain from them or replace them. It's probably both. Flee from them and replace them with the gospel, the things of God, with his word, community, serving. Secondly, we must be 
proclaimers, right? That's We talked about that last week. And also those who live honorably. We have to have both, right? We live honorable lives around those people who don't know Jesus. Part of this mission is to do everyday things with excellence. So think about your life. Are you a, a boss of a lot of people, right? You have a lot of employees under you. I would challenge you that you would make your workplace the best place to work, that you would aim to win awards for it being the best place to work. Because what that tells you is you're, you're pursuing excellence, but also people really love working there. They really love working under you because you care about them as human beings, and you're also caring about being excellent in your workplace. Uh, maybe you're a teacher. Instead of just trying to get your kids to pass tests and, and, and have some knowledge, which is part of it, you see your students holistically, or you see them as human beings. You care about their emotions. You care about their, ho their home lives, right? That may be ways you can um, take this living, honorable, or beautiful lives into the classroom. Or maybe you spend time at home with your kids, right? And the, the hard, mundane grind it is to be a parent at home. What are ways that you can bring the beautiful life into your home and kind of link arms with other moms and dads who are doing the same thing and talk about how can we parent in such a way that we teach our kids this, but also we are, we are communicating this to other families around us. Students, right? be excellent in your studies. It doesn't mean make your grades a little god or idols or like throw all your, go, go, go all after making um, achievement, but you should do excellent work. Take the, the, the time that you have in school, be a good steward of it. Maybe those people around you in your classroom will say, hey, how do you, how do, you do this? Or how, do you, how are you so disciplined in your studies? And how, how, do, you, how do you work hard? And, and maybe you can start to rub shoulders in a deeper way with your classmates because of how you are being um, a student. See, whatever you do, whatever your careers, whatever God is calling you to do, you can live an honorable and beautiful life doing that. Right? Obviously, it's about proclaiming Jesus. That'd be awesome if you do that in your work. But, but I think it's deeper than that. And it's also going to take time. Right? Today's, last week was a little bit more, hey, go out and proclaim. We got work to do. Today, it's a little bit more like we need to get on this, but this is something for the rest of our lives. This is the long game. This is us people seeing us how we live in this world and finding our lives beautiful. We need to remember who we are. And we need to remember our calling to be faithful exiles in this world. Let's pray. Father, I'm once again thankful of just feels like Peter could be writing to us, our church in our day and where we find ourselves. And I, I love the, the um, focus on our identity, but also how practical Peter is and how it just feels like he could be writing to, to our church today. And I pray we would through your spirit, that we would understand what Peter is telling us, but we'd also, that your spirit would change our desires, that it would help us fight this war within us so we can be faithful exiles, that we can be good witnesses. It doesn't mean fighting. It doesn't mean being passive. It doesn't mean blending in. It doesn't mean holding up in a cave, waiting for Jesus to return. We are to live honorable lives among Gentiles. So help us. Help us remember who we are in you and help us remember our calling as exiles, sojourners. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.